Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob O'Kane. I serve here on staff as the student ministry director. And it is my privilege today just to read um, from Colossians 1, 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just as in all, all the word, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you, also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is, faithful, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, it's January 21st. You know what that means, right? It's been 21 days since some of us made some New Year's goals. You're like, well, I didn't start till the 8th. Okay, well, then you keep adding forward. But I say that because they say that it takes 21 days to form a habit. I don't know who the they is or where they got that information from, but there is something to it, right, of at least three weeks of day by day, whatever repeated action, it starts to become muscle memory. Whether that was a, a, a life-giving, you know, sort of what we put in the positive action or negative, that we will form habits. And we actually today, our very character and how we go about life, you can look backwards and it's the stacking of those days. And so therefore, if, you know, this time of year, it's a good time to go, well, am I, do I like where I am? Does is this a good place to be? Where am I? It's our starting point, if you will, to restart. And this is the time of year. Nothing wrong with it. Um, there's nothing magic about goals, or we've said that, but it's a good time to, to think about, well, where am I? What's, where am I in my story, in my journey? Um, and, you know, to think about getting healthier, to think about getting more organized, to think about uh, getting more disciplined, or adding that one life hack guaranteed to get you next level your instagram or facebook feed whatever social media you have your feed is probably bloated right now with that one life hack that you have got to add to your life in order to and i hate the phrase live your best life i hate that phrase i also hate it is what it is but this isn't about what buddy hates uh but your feed and my feed are bloated with those things. Why? Because our economy is built on touching that nerve of where you feel discontent or dissatisfied. And let me give you the one thing. And are you not doing this? I can't believe you're not doing this because how incomplete is your life? And we've talked about the statistics that since 2012, when social media really became everywhere, depression and anxiety rates go up. Contentment and satisfaction has gone down. And therefore, I am much more prone to be the dummy who clicks on that next one life hack or that next thing that I've got to buy 
or that next fitness program I've got to do because it's the only one that really works. And those life hacks call to us. You also have that just in, in terms of uh, religion. You have one religion saying, well, we're hardcore on this, and another saying, we're not hardcore. Those are mean and unloving people, and, and just join our camp. And so we have lots of conflicting ideas and lots of offerings to go after, which is why there are lots of Stanley Cup tumblers around now. There's lots of massage guns that you bought two years ago that haven't probably used because you also didn't work out in order to use. I'm not here to guilt anybody. I'm just saying we feel behind, and therefore something's missing. So, yeah, I'll try that. I'll try that. And we come, become this uh, mixed bag, if you will, of attempts at life hacks. Or let me try a little bit of this religion and a little bit of this philosophy and a little bit of this, if you will, spiritual life hack. On top of that, not only is there just a lot offered, there's also conflicting info out there. Um, Even this past week, you know, there's always been like, hey, you need to watch and don't eat a whole lot of salt because then you'll get heart issues. And then I've also read, you need to have a lot more salt in your diet. And I'm like, maybe I'll do it every other day. I'll just binge on salt and then I won't. I, I don't know. Um, you know, you've probably seen them. I'm, I'm doing a couple of these. Nothing wrong with these things, but how many steps do you need to get? How many steps do you need per day in order to... Now, there's something about it. You, don't, you sit around and you don't move. You start getting stiffer and stiffer. I just know because I'm an old man and I feel it. And so what I'm saying is there's lots of, well, you need this many steps or you need to drink uh, 64 ounces of water a day. No, 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 not 64 ounces. Drink as many, however much you weigh, drink one ounce for every pound. No wonder we are stressed out about what we're trying to pursue to get de-stressed and healthy. Don't eat meat, eat only meat. All right, I'm going to stop. It's all out there, and it's a mixed bag, right? And we'll pick and choose, and particularly because our feeds are there, and we click on it, and we buy it, and, oh, I forgot I even ordered that two days ago from Amazon. Now here it is. I better get on this life hack. It's the same way in the spiritual life. It's the same way where we feel like, man, is there just something missing? Is this just, is it just too basic? Is it the same thing over and over and over again? Is it just empty? Why? What's missing? It can feel overwhelming, confusing. And you may feel that today, that something is missing. Well, the Colossians, as we're going to jump now into our series, looking at Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, they faced some of the same pressures. Now, they didn't have a feed like we have. Theirs was more personal. <laughs> you heard from someone. You went to someone to hear from them what, what it is you needed. They were facing some of the same pressures, though, of how can I advance in life? How can I grow more knowledgeable? How can I have a better handle on life? And they were facing pressures and confusion, insecurity. They were facing a lot of mixed messages. And they were also facing, hey, that's great you have Jesus, but add a little bit of this. And you probably need this because Jesus isn't quite doing it. And they would tap into that nerve of what's missing, what's missing. And so the book of Colossians, it's a small letter of the Apostle Paul, uh, written in the early 60s uh, A.D., 
um, one of the prison epistles. So Paul was in prison for doing what he did, um, going out and spreading the gospel, and he got imprisoned, and he writes several letters, including Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, and the little letter, letter of Philemon, which we'll talk about as we go through, because Philemon was at least one of, or maybe the primary host of the church. Because Philemon, it says, I write to the church that meets at your house. Isn't that great? We're told the church is in a building. It's a, it's a group of people that are gathering at Philemon's house. And so Paul is writing to them because he knows that they're being pressured and that they're confused. And particularly where they were, they were having a mixed bag, if you will, thrown at them constantly and particularly from some who would claim to be like, well, let me let you in on that there's kind of this secret next level. And if you'll kind of follow me, I'll let you know. Because Jesus was a good starting point, but there's really this hidden secret knowledge. And, and so there was that, that tantalizing, man, yes, I could really next level and level up, if you will, if I get that. And so uh, let me tell you a little bit about Colossae. Uh, before we uh, dive into the letter. Paul, um, Jacob has already read his introductory um, thankfulness. He's basically saying, I'm grateful to have heard about you, to have heard your story, Colossian believers, and I'm very thankful because of what I'm hearing. It's good stuff. And yet he's also doing that because he knows he wants to. And being in that good place, I want to help you especially because of these dangerous things they were threatening. Colossae, the reason why there's a mixed bag, was it was, a, it was an important and yet probably declining city in Phrygia uh, on the Lycus River. I know you all planned trips there um, for this summer. <laughs> it's in what is today south-central Turkey. Uh, it served as a trading center, as a crossroads of uh, main highway from Ephesus to the east. And in Roman times, um, relocation leading north to Pergamum actually, because they relocated the road, it actually brought about the growth of Laodicea. You've heard of that city? And it began the gradual slow decline of Colossae. And so very likely, it's already kind of feeling the threads coming apart, feeling the business moving elsewhere. And so even the, the city would be feeling that. And though he didn't know the Colossians, it seems, Paul wrote to them concerning what a man named Epaphras had told him. Um, this is also why Paul, as we're going to look at today, just verses 1 to 8, Paul is careful to begin with encouragement. And this isn't like, uh, you know, empty shell. of the, He's truly grateful because they have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They have believed the good news about who he is and what he has done on their behalf and ours. And so he wants to encourage them about how Epaphras has told him of the Colossians' faith and love. Now, he's also doing this because he knows he wants to press on some things, and he wants to warn them of some, th some dangers, and he wants to correct where they're wanting to nibble at these mixed bag offerings. He's wanting to warn and correct because he wants them to continue to grow, but he's going to get there. He starts this way, but he also mentions Epaphras multiple times in this encouragement. He says, hey, he tells me great things about you because he wants to help Epaphras, who's with him right now in prison, uh, visiting him, or maybe in prison with him. This allows Epaphras the benefit of someday going back 
to Colossae and returning as a friend and a shepherd or leader rather than a tattletale. Because he doesn't just share the good stuff, he shares the bad and the ugly stuff. And Paul's going to touch on uh, some of those nerves. Well, what's, what's the problem? Paul's seeking to address, again, uh, a, way, a big word to say is he's trying to, he's trying to address a syncretism. You have a creed, that means what you believe, same, the critism part of the word, if I can just butcher that. Critism is about belief, and when you sync something, right, it's bringing it together, and so he's saying there's this bringing together of beliefs that are really like oil and, you know, water. They're not supposed to mix, and Paul knows this is a dangerous syncretism, this mixed bag of beliefs. Um, it's kind of like if you've... Um, you kids uh, who are in here, maybe more recently remember this, or maybe you did this this past week, I don't know, where maybe you're going on vacation. I remember going to like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, which is kind of, you know, Ripley's, believe it or not, all this touristy stuff, but they always have a candy store, and they just give kids a bag when you walk in, right? And it's like, yes, I'll take some of that, and, you know, Twizzlers, and I'll, every flavor of Jelly Belly I can, and you walk, oh, this bag is just bloated with sugary goodness, Right? But it's a mixed bag. And that's what Paul is addressing. He's saying there's some things that are um, happening there, and there's some particularly false teachers who are leading you astray, and they're telling you, add this, add that. Jesus was a good starting point, but you need this. This is when you really start to get there. A couple of um, ideas. You can look at chapter 2 um, to see many of these things getting more specified. But there was a mixed bag of people here, ethnicities. There were Jewish and there were Gentile. There were Phrygian and Roman. And so you have all that kind of cultural mixed bag. But in the midst of that, you have, therefore, um, some legalists. So, some Jewish folks are saying, hey, that's great about Jesus, but they still need to kind of come back through the back door and do some Jewish things and follow our rules and get in line with our feast and Sabbaths and eat this way and not that way, because then you'll become varsity. So you have that. Um, you have others who are these kind of pagan mystics. They're like, hey, I just have these great experiences, and it's like a cult that uh, one time was right when I was on staff at Dallas Bible. There was a cult that had a building. They didn't call themselves a cult, but they, um, they met with people in kind of this new way of, hey, that's great. Yeah, we believe in Jesus and all that, but here's what you really need to do to really see your life take off. And they took off from Jesus and moved into this experiential and like when you get into it you're like either fully in or you're like what in the world did I get myself into and part of how they would describe it to me because I drove through the parking lot one Wednesday night and I said hey hey tell me a little I'm not going to tell you the name of it tell me a little bit more about na 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 they said it's like nothing you've ever experienced you'll just have to try it for yourself hey why don't you come sometime again that's not a bad thing but if that's kind of the stock thing said every time, you need to at least have some yellow flags. Because what they're doing is trying to, because what they, these folks would do would take you off on this retreat, and they'd go off in a lot of dangerous and, you know, hu humanistic, if you will, let's leave Jesus behind kind of stuff. And there was similar here, this mystical pagan worship. There were some who worshiped angels. When we get there, I may share a story of uh, someone that told me that they're a very spiritual person, and then they told me about all these figurines of angels because each angel had a specific job in her life. 
I'm like, wow, this is Colossians 2. Um, uh, and then there were people who claimed to have, again, this hidden secret knowledge, this religious mixed bag. And this syncretism was threatening and it was confusing young Colossian believers. Yeah, you believed in Jesus, that's great. But you need more to really experience life or really mean it with God in these ways or make your faith really count. And they were faced with those pressures, pulls, persuasive arguments, and additions to Jesus. And what Paul, throughout the letter, you'll hear him say things like, uh, I say this so that no one may delude you with persuasive arguments. See to it that no one takes you captive through uh, empty deception and philosophy. Hey, watch out for this. Therefore, let no one defraud you of your prize. He's, he's saying there are real present dangers, and some of you are having the gravitational pull toward them. And he says, I want to warn you out of that, and I want you to know that you don't need that. That's not something's missing, so therefore do these things. But you have what you need and all you need in Jesus. So look again at verses 1 and 2. Again, we say, does Paul know the Colossians? Uh, probably not. At least most of them he didn't. Um, from this passage, uh, and then in verse 9, it says, since we heard of it. Uh, and in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he says, not personally seen my face. And in 2.5, he says, hey, I'm absent in body, but I'm with you in spirit. There's a sense in which Paul doesn't really know them, and yet he writes this greeting. He says, Paul, an apostle, that means a sent one of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So this is Paul and Timothy. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This is a very standard, if you will, greeting of Paul. He often says grace and peace. You have both, uh, gives this mixed audience, you have uh, Jews, Jewish believers in the audience who uh, peace would mean a lot to them. That's that idea of well-being and flourishing and shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of vitality and fullness of life. And grace would mean a lot to the Greek audience. It's a way in which to say, um, may God's favor be upon you. You don't earn it, as we just sang about. May his, may his sufficiency be what is your merit, not your own merit. May his grace and favor be upon you. But notice what he's doing is he's writing this letter. As I said, he begins this way because he knows Epaphras is saying, here's how the Colossian church has been faring, and here's what they are facing. And so Paul even is peppering in here some theology, He's peppering in some, some themes he's going to pick up on uh, as he goes along. And I want you to notice them because the way he addresses them, he says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. In Christ at Colossae. In Christ at Colossae. I want you to notice that. It's, in fact, um, on their story, our story, that slide in Christ, in Colossae. Because we go through this story, though it's a letter, there's story around it, and there's story that will happen from it. It's also our story. Not only do we face mixed bags of messages and confliction and dissatisfaction and all that, but in Christ, in Colossae. Paul wants to emphasize, and he'll hit it again and again, 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, as you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 83 times in the New Testament through Paul, he uses the phrase in Christ. And then there's many more times where he uses similar phrases like in the Lord. Okay, so Paul wants them and God wants us through Paul to know as well. This is your identity. Wherever you are located, if you have believed Jesus, you are in Christ. So great news, Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. It means we have been placed positionally in him. And as we sang earlier, we are clothed in his righteousness. It's not of our own merit, but his. And therefore, our identity is secured. We are secured in Christ. When the Father looks at us, he sees his beautiful son. When the devil, is, as Avinash was talking about, when the devil wants to whisper, you're no good, you don't deserve this. You, he is, First John, he is our advocate. Why? Because he's in us. I mean, we are in him, sorry. And he is in us. Yes, both. <laughs> But we, he says, I want you to, he's addressing them as the saints, the set-apart ones, not only set apart from the world, but set apart toward God and his purposes. Set apart for the Lord. And he says, you are in Christ and in Colossae. In Christ really could sum up Paul's theology. Because in, Korea, in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. But he also would say, um, the, in Colossae would be his mission mindset that wherever you are because you are in Christ you are his you're also his ambassador there in that place and so therefore whatever issues are in our city or are in your neighborhood and particularly whatever personal struggles uh, and, and uh, journeys that are going on to, to your right and to your left at, in your neighborhood or your work God intends to address those in some way through your address. It is not a mistake. It is not an accident. And therefore, we should actually even take more seriously where it is that we dwell. Or, and are we dwelling there? Are we just existing there? And the book of Colossians, Paul's letter is saying, I want to encourage you in your identity and your locality. Neither is an accident. Neither is up for grabs. And so have that kind of mindset as you live and work and play and worship in Colossae. Now, verses 3 to 8, again, he opens with, um, this is still part of their story, but he opens with encouragement. He says, I want you to know I've heard from Epaphras great things, that you're faithful, that you have believed in Jesus and you are believing in him. And that's spilling out into a love for other believers and others in the city so that they're seeing the message of the gospel and they're hearing it from you. And he thanks God for hearing that story from Epaphras. He wants them to be encouraged. He wants the relationship between Epaphras and them to even be tighter, more tightly woven. And let me stop for a second and say, where did Epaphras hear it? Most likely would understand that in uh, Acts 19, when Paul is in Ephesus, and um, his, his preaching is such that there's a riot. <laughs> there's, well, there's a riot, and then he's, he's preaching the gospel. And it's like, 
Uh, Luke lets us know in Acts that at that time when he set up camp in Ephesus, that the word of the Lord went all throughout Asia. Guess where we are? We're in Asia. Very likely that Epaphras is one of those who came and heard the gospel and believed in Christ there and went back and spread that word to where now it went out and others believed and now there's a little young church there. And not only that, but in Laodicea and Hierapolis, and it seems that Epaphras is kind of this encourager, shepherd, and it's like most pastors even today in the world. They're the one person who came to faith in Christ, and they have four chapters of Romans that they got torn out of something, and they're like, um, all right, let me try to lead us. I imagine that that's how, that's imagination, but I imagine that's how Epaphras started. Now, he, he could have gotten some tutelage under Paul, we hope that he did. But as he comes back, he wants, to know, he wants to let Paul know these folks love one another and they believe in Jesus, but they're also being threatened. And they're also having this discontent poked and poured into them through these confusing mixed messages about maybe Jesus isn't enough. Well, what does he thank God for specifically in their story? Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. We'll talk about that gospel in just a moment. So he gives thanks that they have come to faith in Jesus, and they have this love that is evident. Um, one guy I listened to this week, it's a great phrase. I don't even think it's original with him. But as we think about our walk with the Lord... This, this man that I was listening to said, love is the birthmark of believers in Christ. And that's true. Jesus said, you know, they will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. And in 1 John, he says, hey, this is the love of God. And, and if we say we love God and yet we don't love our brother, that's a mixed message and something's off. And he says, love is the birthmark, the new birthmark, if you will of those who are in Christ. And so he thanks them for that. He's thankful to God for that. He encourages that. And he says it's because of this future hope, this hope that's laid up for them, that's secured. First Peter talks about it, that it's, it's um, imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, your eternity is secure in terms of duration. You have eternal life now because eternal life is actually not about duration only. It's about quality, eternal quality of life. And really, in John 17, he says, eternal life is that they may know you and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It is knowing God and being known by him. And so having been rescued from sin's penalty and being rescued in this life from its power, ultimately, sin's presence will be dealt with, and we'll, we, we will enjoy eternity with him. That's the hope laid up for them. And that hope... And this is from John Piper. I like this phrase. He says, hope awakens faith, and faith awakens love. He says that's the ripple effect within a church. When we continue re continually reset our hope, not on the latest hack, not on the latest program, not on the latest, let me pick a little bit from this religion and that. When our hope is reset again and again in him, it will ignite our faith or awaken our faith, and that faith will always get muscular, get warmth, get expressed through love that is tangible. 
And so that's their story, and it's the call to be our story. Now, what is the story? The story, in the next couple verses, he says, that, that gospel came to you. Well, what is that gospel? Just as in all the world also, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. The gospel is a message of grace. It's what we sang. We don't earn relationship with God, but Jesus paid the debt that we should have paid by taking our place on the cross. And so all we can do is throw our lives on him, throw ourselves on him, and believe in him. Trust that what he did in taking my place and yours on the cross is, was and is sufficient. Therefore, we can sing, it is finished, because Jesus could say from the cross, it is finished. And God says yes, after Jesus died, when he raised him from the dead. And so that good news is powerful. In fact, we are dead until we have put our faith in Jesus Christ. We're spiritually dead, which means separated from God, and we're headed toward that forever, unless he opens our eyes and we believe and place our trust in him. It's powerful, and they have been transformed by it. They, the Colossians, have heard it and understood it and believed, and that's gotten expressed in their love, so it's powerful, but it's also fruitful. He lets them know um, this is going all over the world, not just with you guys. It's going to Laodicea and Hierapolis and everywhere in the, the Roman world. The gospel is spreading despite... Where's Paul writing from? Prison. And we get to Acts 28, um, the very last word in my English Bible of Acts. I think it's 28, 30 or 31. I think it's 31. Um, he, he basically talks about, he, he's in chains, but the gospel is going forth, and the last word is unhindered. Wow. How? Because it's powerful it's fruitful, it's spreading to the world, so it's global, but he also wants them to know this isn't just for out there, it's personal. And you and I have to come to a place of hearing and understanding and believing, putting our trust in him and him alone. And Paul will hit that a lot, him alone. And out of that personal transformation, then that begins to ripple out through us to others so that part of our story is now to share his, the story of his grace in my life with someone who doesn't yet know him. That's the story. Now, let's, to, to kind of wrap our time, we're going to look at Paul's aim and our aim. Because that's, what, that's why Paul's writing this letter. We just kind of got into an intro saying, these are the problems, these are the confusing messages these are where we are tempted to go, well, something's missing. And Paul's going to say, you're not missing something. It's not, well, it's a nice start with Jesus, but now get here. He's saying, who you need and what you need is all in him. And he's going to say that. And so I want you to look over to verses 28 and 29. Because um, you could pick several key verses in Colossians to be the key verse. But I think in terms of what Paul is after, um, he got encouraged and wanted to encourage, and he got, if you will, wholly agitated, H-O-L-Y, agitated, to address some things with them because he doesn't want their growth to be stunted 
He doesn't want them to be um, taken captive. He doesn't want them to be squelched. He wants to see them full of life that only is found in the one who is the fullness of God in bodily form, Jesus himself. And so here's what Paul says. This is really what his ministry is all about anywhere, but particularly as he's trying to write to the Colossians and as God wants to get through to us, when we are in Christ in Colossae, here's some things to watch out for. Here's some things to give your uh, devotion and attention to. Therefore, it can spill out into both a corporate health and a personal growth, but not from Christ, in Christ. So he says this, We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present every person complete in Christ. Some of your Bibles say perfect in Christ. Some of you say mature in Christ. Those are all good translations. It's the idea of what's the end we're going for here, and it's the idea of wholeness. It's the idea of maturity. And when you think of someone that you admire in life, even like a Paul in prison, why would we admire him? Well, you have every reason to kind of blame others and have a pity party. And yet he says in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How do you do that? Well, there's certain stability. There's a certain vitality that's unexplainable apart from it being God in you. And then he's part of a community that continually encourages and reinforces, reinforces. And I think that's what Colossians is getting to for every single one of us. That in one sense, we've been made complete in him already. He says it in chapter 2. And in another sense, he tells us that God's doing a completing work in us. That he's not done making you like Jesus. He's not done making me like him. It's what your favorite verse, Romans 8, 28, saying that God does, works everything together for good, but the rest of that we forget, 29 and 30 are, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, meaning he's got some more chiseling on me to do. He's got some more addressing of hard attitudes he's got to do. So Paul says, what I'm after here is I want to be able to present you guys complete in Christ. And he says, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. It's not his own power, and yet he's given all he's got so that the Spirit would work through him. Paul writes to the Colossians to steep them. It's what you do with a tea bag. You put it in the hot water and you let it sit. And most of us Americans, impatient and also unlearned, do this with the bag. My mom would say that is out of bounds. That is illegal. But to steep is to stay in and stay in. And then that heat draws it out. And the, all of a sudden that water becomes more and more robust, more and more flavorful. Paul wants to steep them and us in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ. He wants to warn and correct false teaching, yes, he wants to move them toward being rooted, renewed, and maturing in their walk with Christ. But so he can get us there, so that God can get us there through what we consider here. He says, here's how I'm going to do that. I'm not going to give you a new hack. I'm, I'm not going to give you additions. I'm going to proclaim him. The him there is a capital H. It's Jesus. In, in 115 to 23, he'll say, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then he drops down. He said he's also the firstborn from the dead. So he's not only the firstborn of, 
as creator and of creation. He didn't get created, but he created. He's also the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of the new creation. And he's the, the beginning. He's the head of the body. So he's Lord over all, and yet he's also sufficient. So where we feel like something is missing, he's saying he is sufficient for your every need. You don't need a secret additional knowledge. You don't need angels, the latest experience. Paul says, I will reach my aim with the Colossians and us by proclaiming Jesus with purpose and spirit-provided strenuousness. He says, we proclaim him. He is supreme. We proclaim him. Jesus is sufficient. He is enough. And I kind of hammered at the beginning and overdid it at the beginning on purpose. That feeling of, why do we click? Why, why, what are we drawn to? It's because we feel like, well, we are behind. Something is lacking. Something's not enough. And Paul's going to say, he is enough. This is what Paul proclaims with this aim of Jesus being exalted and us maturing as his followers. It's also what Epaphras proclaimed in his own ministry and prays for. Look at this from chapter 4. Paul ends, he starts with trying to set up Epaphras well, it's not the tattletale. But he also says, you need to know, not only was Epaphras effusive in just encouragement of where you guys are in your faith and your love for others, but he also says, that thing I'm pressing on you about, that's the very thing Epaphras has also been letting you know and has been wrestling in prayer for you. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting, always laboring, laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. Why? That you may stand perfect. There's the same idea. It's what Paul wants to proclaim and go after. And Epaphras is saying, I'm praying toward that end, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. So Paul's aim is our aim. What's the next chapter for us as Allen Bible? Um, this is the very first book that we preached um, once we were officially launched as a church in August of 2004. And we called that series The Doorpost. You may be like, that is weird. <laughs> well, we called it that because how do you measure your kids' growth? In my household, you can barely read the door jam within in an upper... Uh, upstairs hallway where my parents wrote not only you know leveled off and did that on our heads but then our friends heads and you see they keep growing and my boy said that I'm no longer six feet I don't know I don't know maybe I'm five four now right that's a door it's a door uh, you measure it on the door you may have that in your home well I want to you know as we say Paul's aim is our aim if he's about these things that's why we set out with Colossians once we were officially going, is we want to be the church that God calls us to be. We want to be the people individually that God calls us to be. And that's not a bunch of fancy schmancy, throw this in and let's do the, like, we're going to proclaim him. We're going to admonish and teach. We're, we're going we're to um, put on these things and put off these things. We're going to let what they did so well today we're going to let the word about Christ richly dwell within us in our worship. Uh, whatever we do in word or deed, we're going to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus so that we would grow in all aspects up into him. And so I, I want to show you this, this picture. I warned Bill, your family's not here, so they don't have to be embarrassed. 
So on the left there, with my way too large, over large shirt, blue shirt, um, that's Bill Nelson measuring Maddie Nelson. And then Jennifer's to the side, a little dark there, but then you can see little Jack with his shorts on. And it's like the first or second Sunday we're doing the series, and we just measured them. And then there they are on the right. My coach buddy will start crying, but I will try not to. Just a beautiful picture of growth. Uh, Maddie uh, and Jack and Claire wasn't around yet. Um, That's what you want for your family, right? Growth. That's what we want as a family, growth. We want to grow in him. We want the beauty of the gospel to be beautiful through us. And we don't need a magic bullet. And we don't need the latest thing. We're going to have a program. You have a program whether you want to have a program or not. But we want to be about proclaiming him and being the body that he calls us to be. Because as part of that, then God brings a growth. A growth personally, a, a, a growth um, in community. And that's going to have ups and downs. There's going to need to be forgiving those who offend you, bearing with those, putting up with me, right? It's going to take all of that. And the reason why we're doing this is this is our 20th year. And our anniversary is not until August. But I was like, I don't want to wait. Kind of like some of you start on your New Year's goals in November. <laughs> I, I, I want to say, hey, how are we doing? God's truth hasn't changed. And his son is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is supreme, and he is enough. For wherever you are, he is enough in your life and for all of life. And so I thought there's no more fitting way to see how we've grown corporately and for us to ask individually, God, where am I growing? Where do you want me to grow? But it will be not walking from this beginning with Jesus, but it will be walking with Jesus. Yes, walking in his ways, but walking with him who is Lord and who is enough. Uh, as I said, our aim is that. Uh, I'm going to tell you for this year, kind of one expectation and two questions. You'll hear a lot. The one expectation out of this, Paul's aim, I'm going to do all I can with the Spirit's strength to, to devote myself to seeing others growing in Christ. It's another way of saying I want to be involved in making disciples of Jesus. The one expectation that we would have and call us to is that every ABCer in some way will be involved in disciple-making. Now, that might mean I need to get under somebody's tutelage and grow as a disciple. But that won't mean that it won't spill out. But that may mean, and particularly, I would say, right now as a season, we may think, man, this is the darkest, most confusing, like, oh, my goodness, another election cycle and all that. Yeah, there's a lot of junk flying around, but do you realize that spiritual hunger is flying off the charts right now? It's, it's said within Gen Z, the spiritual hunger to know, is there something of substance? Guess what Colossians addresses? There's shadows and there's substance. And if you know him, you know the substance. And so the one expectation is every one of us would be involved in that, particularly with those who don't know Jesus in your neighborhood or your place of work. We're not going to tell you where that is, but I want you to hear this. This is not a program. This is us personally saying, Paul's aim is my aim. And Jesus said, actually, I'm making it easy. You follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. 
You don't even have to make yourself be one. And so the two questions would be, what's your story? Do you know your own story? He celebrates with them. Your own story is Epaphras shared it and you believed. For my own story, a very brief of it is um, my parents for sure, but also Mr. Irv in my Sunday school class when I was in third grade. He was a buttoned-up dude, always a button-down, always khakis, always tucked in, but he'd roll those sleeves up and get down with us eight and and nine-year-old boys, and he would show us the love of Jesus. And he shared the gospel, and I became a believer. But what's your story? Your story of grace. Before you met uh, Jesus or Jesus met you, how you came to trust him as Savior, and really today, what's, what's going on in your life and in your story today where you're learning to walk with Jesus? And let the beauty of your own story be useful in God's hands. But it's also the way in which we can lean into our neighbors and go, we won't say this question, but what's your story? Just be fascinated with those around you and see what God does. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you will never lack for opportunity if you become fascinated with somebody else of saying, I just want to know you. The second question is, what's your next step? And that's going to be, what does it look like for me to move in that direction? We're going to give some tools and some tips. Later on, we're going to actually try to encourage and involve our life groups as well, and just giving some simple tools to encourage and equip. We don't want to go, hey, that's the expectation, and then oh, we don't have anything to help you out with. And yet, at the same time, don't look for a silver bullet. So what's your story? What's your next step? Um, as part of applying this today, I do want you to think about who in your story, think about your story, who in your life did God use so that you'd come to know him, to hear the gospel, to see the gospel, to hear the gospel, and to trust Jesus? Who's an Epaphras for you? I just encourage you to thank God for that person again today. I'd encourage you perhaps to send him a note, a handwritten note. If you can't do that, write him an email can't do that phone call you can't do that send them a text simply saying hey i just wanted to you to know that i thank god for you in my life and that i'm where i am partially today because of you being available for god to use and and just simply say thank you and then what's your next chapter as you go into 24 what's your next step your next chapter of 2024 may be like mine My one word for 2024 is attentive. I'll describe more of that later. But in a phrase, my for me to grow with Jesus, my next step in a phrase is take off what you don't need. It's not to add more. It's not to do more. Take off what you don't need. And I think about the rich young ruler. I don't often identify with him. I'm neither rich nor young nor a ruler. But you think of Jesus. When he says, hey, what could I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus engages him. In fact, Jesus says that Jesus looked on him with a compassion. He looked on him and felt a love for him. He says, well, do you know the, you know, these commandments? Oh, yeah, I've kept them all since by you. Jesus wasn't saying, now, this is how you get in right relationship with God. But definitely a moment to test the heart. And he said, well, actually, one thing you lack. Now, wait, I thought Colossians was about we don't lack anything. Jesus is saying, here's one thing you lack. And instead of telling him, here's the thing to fill your life with, what does he say? Go get rid of your stuff. Stuff isn't bad. 
But Jesus knew that for that man, in terms of having a relationship with God, it had its tentacles around him. And even just the desire for that stuff. Why did he have that desire? Well, he wanted security and vitality and probably community. He wanted life. Jesus says, I'm letting you know where life is. He says, do that and follow me. That's not the prescription for y'all. Don't go sell everything. But for me, that resonates right now because my next step is, buddy, take off what you don't need. Quit adding stuff. Just walk with me. We're closing with this verse. Worship team, you can come on up. Because we're going to end proclaiming him. Colossians 2, right in the middle of it. You think about your own story, how it is you came to believe in Jesus. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The only people who overflow with gratitude are those who are experiencing life that is life indeed and who've come to a place to going, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything I need, but there is one who supplies what I need. And so we're going to sing what's going to be sung when I come to the last chapter of my life and I've croaked. This is, um, I stand amazed. If uh, I die and all my family dies, someone please say, buddy wants, I, I stand amazed to be sung. Would you stand and I want you to just think again. Be reminded again. He's supreme and he is enough. Let's close with that. I won't even do a benediction and we'll be dismissed.